0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Ready for Love with me, Julia. Hi. Um, today, we're going to talk about the spiciest, most provocative, most triggering relationship topic, jealousy. Maybe it is not the most these things, but I think it's up there. I think it's up there with the few most provocative triggering relationship topics. Certainly everybody has some feelings about this. Before we begin, I want to clearly define what I'm going to be referring to here when I say jealousy. Jealousy is, in my definition, the fear of losing something or someone you have to somebody else. So I don't mean envy, because I define envy as the desire to have something someone else has, but you don't. So jealousy is a little territorial, a little bit of a resource-keeping feeling, and it's the fear of what's yours being taken away by someone else, or someone who's yours leaving it for someone else. I don't personally see the feeling of jealousy itself as a problem. I think feelings are just feelings. I think that what can be a problem is how we behave under the influence of jealousy, especially if we are not aware and responsible with our actions. What can also be a problem is if our jealousy is coming from a place of distorted sense of entitlement, basically feeling like we own or have something or someone that's not actually ours. So jealousy itself is just a fear of someone taking what you got from you. Uh, Another before we begin clarification that I really, really want to say, and I think it's actually the most important, What I'm about to share here about dancing is only my experience, my personal perspective, my individual opinions, and it's really with the intention of just providing a background to what I have learned when it comes to relationships. I absolutely do not speak for all social dancers, each dancer will have their own perspective on this topic. And their own experience, and whatever I say here should absolutely not be blanket applied to the whole of the dance community. This is just what I think and what I have observed for myself. Um, if you are actually interested and want to know more about the dance community, and you know how these feelings exist or don't exist within dancing you have to ask other dancers too you have to look into how other people feel and think about this okay so my goal here is not to inform people of what the social dancing experience is like my goal here is to share with people what the experience of social dancing inspired me to think about as applied to relationships that being said for those who don't know I dance, um, swing dances, they're Black American dances, mainly from the first half of the 20th century, and there is a thriving community for these styles of dancing pretty much all over the world, I think. And I've kind of always wanted to dance like this, as in always since I was a kid. I remember first seeing... Swing dancing in old cartoons and then old movies. And then as a teenager, I got into vintage fashion and it just kind of went from there, you know. Although, still as a teenager, I was not aware of a dancing scene being alive nowadays. However, once I found out that social dancing was practiced nowadays and, you know, that I could actually experience those things that I used to see, I was. Very, very suspicious of close-up couples dancing, um, which is what social dancing mostly is. And what I mean by that is not that I would feel uncomfortable with it in 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 an individual level, as in with experiencing that closeness, but more within the context of a relationship. Because when you're dancing, you hold hands, you embrace each other, you make eye contact, you're sharing a physical. And I'd even say to an extent, emotional or even spiritual activity. It can be quite intimate. Um, you, You really are, you know, touching. And so for many years, because I almost always had a partner, I was not so comfortable moving into the world of social dancing or even taking lessons. Because you see, even in most social dancing classes, you're supposed to dance in a rotation. You go from partner to partner during the whole class. You don't just stay dancing with the person you came with. Um, I think in some scenes, that's permissible. But in general, also, you learn better if you're dancing with a variety of people. So I think that because I saw so much meaning in dancing... Because I was so aware of, or at least I embedded so much subtext into dancing, I was jealous. You know, dancing is a vulnerable dialogue. Especially, I think, when you're doing it well and you're not too stuck in your head, you're really present there with the other person. And I was not comfortable with the idea of my partner sharing so many intimate experiences with other people. The reality is that I long to have this degree of intimacy, this wordless connection with my partners. I wanted to drag their asses to dance class and I wanted to have that beautiful experience of being really really connected in the moment, feeling the music and just surrendering to your bodies with my partners. Um, And I think here we reach really the first important factor in this whole story. I did not feel like I had this intimate connection with my partners in the relationship, regardless of dancing. Maybe it's because they were very avoidant or very deceptive or self-deceptive or very dissociated. But for whatever reason, I felt they were not reaching me and seeing me really, and that I couldn't really see them, even though I tried. I felt that they weren't really bringing their deepest, truest selves into the relationships. It felt like we couldn't deeply connect. And when you don't have that with your partner, it's really, really hard to establish trust and to feel bonded, to feel securely bonded. And what's more, when you want this so bad with your partner and you don't have it, you're also kind of scared that they're going to have it with someone else and not you. It's like, (laughs) big yikes you know uh i know that the problem here is becoming quite evident quite obviously uh you know the problem is the the person we'll get to that and so for this very embarrassing reason i steered away from social dancing for many years i didn't trust my partners and i didn't believe that dancing was all that innocent And this brings me to a second key factor in all this. I really wanted to dance, but this whole jealousy issue was stopping me, dead in my tracks, because I was in a relationship that I felt like didn't allow for that to safely happen. So I wanted to solve it. I talked to people about it, I tried reading about it online, and this is the main narrative I kept coming across. Dancing is purely innocent. I went on Reddit, and I read blog posts, and people really insisted that it was all innocent, that social dancing was so unsexy, that everyone was busy thinking of their own moves, and it was such a sweaty affair, that there was nothing seductive about it at all, and how could anybody feel anything romantic in that, and blah blah blah, you know? And these were things written specifically about the swing dancing scene. So I was still not really buying it, but I was thinking maybe, maybe there's a different vibe in this kind of dance. I don't know. In the end, I still didn't believe that my dance partner wouldn't get just way in over their head about being up close with a bunch of beautiful people. So I still didn't try dancing for many years, sadly. I want to pause the dance conversation here for a second just to say though, How sad is it that I gave up on something that I really wanted to do for years because I couldn't trust the person I was with to participate responsibly with me. And what's more, I felt like I didn't have the right to do it without them. My then-partner didn't have any particular interest in swing dancing per se, but I felt like if I gave myself permission to have these intimate interactions with other people, then they also had the same permission, whether it be in dancing or some other activity. And I could not bring myself to trust them with that degree of freedom. I felt like they would not have boundaries to protect our relationship. They would take advantage of those circumstances to do things we that were outside of our agreement under the cover of it being innocent. So having chosen an untrustworthy partner locked me into a situation where I could not be comfortable with their freedom, and therefore, to be all fair and square, I limited my own freedom. (sighs) What a tragedy. My god. Can you imagine how good I'd be today if I had been dancing all those years? (sighs) Moment of silence for my undeveloped moves. But back on the dancing story, I felt like a lot of what I was reading, that sanitized, almost puritanical version of things, was bullshit. I was just not buying it. I truly believed that there was a lot of frisson and flirting going on at social dances, at the very least. And eventually, I found myself single. So, I finally had an unencumbered opportunity to go try social dancing. And before I get to the whole jealousy thing again, it was amazing, incredible, totally recommend, so much fun, dancing is everything, I love it. But I digress. Yes, so, I was single. And upon my first arrival in the dancing scene, everything looked peaceful. There was mostly an atmosphere of sexual respect and boundaries. I didn't really see much of people being harassed. And really, compared to your average nightclub, the vibe was more like a classroom. It was chill. Things were quite neat. But then. <laughs> and there's always a but then, right? I mean, it, it, it's a room full of adults. So as I got further into the scene and I made friends and I danced regularly and I experienced festivals and I heard stories, I found out just what's in the underbelly, what's actually going on that people can't see the moment they walk in the room. There definitely was flirting, people were dating, hooking up, sleeping with each other in every direction you looked, but they just kept it private. And the chart, I think, of who had a thing with who in the scene Probably would look like that conspiracy theory, crazy guy meme from Always Signing in Philadelphia. Like, just a, everyone, everything is connected. I've even heard people jokingly say that the swing dancing scene is very incestuous. In the sense that everyone's relationship lines be intersecting in many directions and crossing. And everyone's connected somehow. There's like, you know, one degree of separation from... <laughs> Any, any person. Is that how you say it? Two degrees of separation? I don't know. I made this joke without thinking. Anyway, what I experienced firsthand was that no, not every dance had a flirtatious vibe to it, of course. The majority of dances were a type of special human connection and not a romantic or sexual one. It was just something beautiful and I- intimate, but all innocent. But... <laughs> If two people were attracted to each other and open to it, a dance could very well not be just a dance. It was a dance. You know what I mean? It was sometimes like electric. It was noticeable. It was palpable. As in these two people would be dancing and friends on the sidelines would be like, Ooh, my God, what's happening there, you know? People would have dances or multiple dances and then come tell you about it like, oh my God, what happened? So of course that doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen sometimes. There's no sense in denying it. And people linger, they enjoy dancing with each other a lot, they have an especially fun time, they have a special type of eye contact, they have more dances than customary, sometimes several more dances than customary, they stay talking all night after dancing, they start flirting off the dance floor, and sometimes they don't, sometimes it just stays within the dance. And sometimes these things mean something romantic, or some degree of attraction, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes, dancers start dating, get married, develop a teaching career, have babies, break up and get stuck in a dance partnership that's professional together with their ex for all of eternity. It's a cycle of life, okay? Anyway, these are all personal choices that adults make on how they'll interact with each other. But the point is, there I had it, the proof. Dancing was in fact just like any other human adult partnered activity. It provided plenty of opportunity and stimulation for things of flirtatious, romantic, erotic, sexual nature to happen. Okay? Whether it did happen or not involved compatibility, willingness, interest, choice, things like that. But it was not a clinical, pure, desexualized environment. It was adults touching and moving with adults. It involved everything that this kind of thing would involve. Does this mean everyone who loves dancing with each other, who enjoys a fixed long-term dance partnership, or who wants to dance all night with one person is in cahoots, up to no good, shagging it up? No, of course not. Of course not. Again, these are choices people can make or not make, and enjoying dancing with a person doesn't necessarily mean having all this, like I said, attraction and frisson going on underneath. But. It exists, so this led me to the big bad questions, now that I was a dancer. If I got a partner, as in a romantic partner, not a dance partner, would I feel like I have to stop dancing? Or if I kept dancing, of course I wouldn't cheat on a partner, but what about the flirtation, and what about the vibes that happen sometimes? Would I have to shut all that down? What if my partner was a dancer, would I be okay with that? Would I be able to survive seeing this person that I'm attached to experiencing all these magical connection vibes or even flirtation with other people? <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> even just talking about this right now gets me all riled up because it's such a such a topic it gets to you, you know? But I got my answer. And this is what I'm really excited to share with y'all. I got my answer talking to a very good friend and reading a book called Mating in Captivity by relationship therapist Esther Perel. Perel talks about how people in relationships should still maintain a sense of separateness and individuality and should still experience eroticism independently especially in order to stay interesting for their partners and to inspire passion. Uh, Does this mean having sex with other people? No, not necessarily, unless that is what both of you want in your relationship, but that's not what she's talking about. According to to Perel, eroticism is not sex per se, but the qualities of vitality, curiosity, and spontaneity that make us feel alive. The erotic landscape is vastly larger, richer, and more intricate than the physiology of sex or any repertoire of sexual techniques. It's the unexpected yet welcome touch on a great first date, running into a dear old friend and absconding together for a drink, traveling to a brand new place and experiencing it unfold before you. As Octavio Paz has implied, eroticism is the poetry of the body, the way that poetry is the eroticism of language. Eroticism is cultivating pleasure for its own sake. It's about bringing adventure back into play and creativity into our lives. So to Esther, maintaining your erotic energy alive, so this, this ability to experience with your senses, is essential in order to enjoy life, to enjoy your relationships, and to enjoy your sexuality. And limiting our eroticism to our relationships exclusively is, in a way, trimming our ability to feel alive ourselves, and by extent, reducing our ability to be vibrant and attractive to our partners. What this meant to me is that I should not limit my enjoyment of human experience to my partner, and that I should not expect my partner to limit their enjoyment of human experience to me. Of course, limits exist and are negotiated uh, in each relationship, but we'll get to that. So I was very unhappy and unsatisfied in my past relationships, when I did not allow other people to, let's say, water me, metaphorically speaking, when I did not allow myself to indulge a little bit in attention, to feel desirable, not just physically, but as company, in conversation, to feel interesting, not allowing myself to be enjoyed by others and to enjoy others out of a fear of that making my partner feel insecure made me feel like a wilted flower. Because frankly, yes, my old partners weren't doing a great job watering me themselves. But also, a partner cannot possibly provide enough for a person's whole life. We need to also exist in the world, as individuals. For one person to be responsible for all your enjoyment and pleasure, including the pleasure of connection, understanding, friendship, and touch, would be just too much work. And because on the other hand, it might even breed resentment. A feeling of obligation to be the one always validating, always entertaining, always providing everything your partner needs to feel confident. It leaves no room for desire, for wanting them because they are so vibrant and confident, if you're busy all the time doing this for them. So, allowing myself to enjoy dancing, and having fun with other people, and having fun sharing a physical activity with other people, and touching other people, and occasionally even enjoying feeling attractive or attracted to other people, became clear to me as not just rights, but needs. And that meant that my partner would probably need the same thing for themselves and I would have to be okay with that. Ugh. <laughs> and that might be uncomfortable to accept. I mean, I'm sure it was hard for me that to accept that my partner might be attracted and even a little flirty with someone else, it really triggers the fear of losing your partner or of not holding that special place anymore. It's pure a sense of jealousy, okay? And I'm sure a partner would as well feel sometimes this worry about me and feel jealous about me. And this leads me to the most important lesson in all this, the thing that dancing taught me about jealousy. Accepting reality is an essential step to being accountable and taking responsibility for your actions. Here's what I mean by that. The people who insist there is nothing to worry about. No potential flirtation, no erotic undertones, no risk involved, and that your jealousy is all in your head. Those are the potential partners that I really don't trust. Because if there's nothing to worry about in the first place, then they don't need to take precautions. They don't need to be aware. They don't need to be careful. They don't need to be responsible. Nothing's gonna happen. There's nothing happening here, right? And if the glances and energy and touches they shared with let's say that one specific person don't mean anything ever, then they don't need to be accountable for it. When you pretend there is nothing there, you are dodging responsibility. But when you admit that actually, yeah, these are all flammable materials and this kind of friction can start fires and explosions, then you admit also that you need to be careful with it. Boundaries are essential, right? That's obvious. And they need to reflect your values and be comfortable for your relationship. And they need to be specific, not vague things like not cheating. Why does cheating even for each specific couple? How can these conversations even happen if we're insisting that nothing bad could ever happen? It was this conversation that led me to realize I have a much easier time trusting a potential partner who's not delusional or self-deluding, someone who's not lying to themselves and pretending that everything is fine and pretending to be naive. To me, admitting that anyone could cheat, you, I, everyone, anyone, anyone could catch feelings for someone else if they get too involved and that we all need to be careful with what we do, comes across as way more trustworthy than someone just insisting that they would never do that. Like as if they're magically immune to how it feels to share intimacy with a person they find attractive. No one's immune. No one's immune, okay? And even worse, it can be gaslighting. A partner having a crush on someone And then insisting to my face that they don't feel anything, that they're not attracted and that it's all in my head and I'm just crazy is gaslighting me and denying reality as it would be if I was doing it to them. Just tell me the truth and tell me then what you're going to do about it. That's it. It might hurt, but it's reality. It hurts less than being lied to. It's up to each couple to negotiate and decide what limits they need in their relationship. But these conversations will only ever be valid if everyone's being honest about how they feel and what they need, even if it's hard to say. Too many of us are leaving a bunch of stuff unsaid out of fear that our partners wouldn't be okay with it, out of fear of hearing no. And because we don't wanna lose our relationships, But we also don't want to give up on our little freedoms like flirting or having crushes. We end up deceiving them by pretending these things don't happen at all and keeping our agreements vague so we can maintain some plausible deniability. Like, no, of course not. To me, that's not okay. A partner will have trouble trusting. They'll feel like there's something going on that's not being said. Plus, the only real consent is informed consent. That is, if you're withholding information from your partner, they cannot consent to an agreement with you. You're fooling them and taking advantage. If you want to maintain the ability to, for example, flirt outside of your relationship or to have crushes, that's fair, but you need to speak about that openly to your partner. You need to define clearly what those things are, how they function, what they look like, what they mean to you. You need to figure out what is and what's not okay for you to do, what the limits are, and if your partner is okay with all that. Get into the nitty-gritty of it. Talk examples. Decide together if you can agree on what's too much and on what boundaries you're happy with, both of you. And you need to find a partner that's okay with you living the way you want to live, and a partner you're okay with living the way they want to live. So my big lesson here is that for me to allow freedom to a partner, and therefore allow myself enough freedom to blossom and thrive, I need a relationship with someone who does not bullshit. I need a relationship with someone who is able to admit their own messy nature, which we all have, and take responsibility for managing it. I need a partner who is not afraid to tell the truth of how they feel and who can accept the truth of how I feel. So we can both make agreements, figure out boundaries, and build a relationship that's fair, honest, and fulfilling. So we can both decide how much is too much, how far can you go, what are we okay with enjoying and what are we not okay with participating in once we're committed. It's as simple. In summary. Dancing taught me not to give up on what's important for me to thrive as a human being. That it's okay to enjoy a human exchange outside of puritanical western ideals. And it helped me realize that choosing the right person to have a relationship with will make both things I just mentioned much easier, or rather possible at all. So if all of this long story slash rant resonated with you at all, I hope that what I shared and what I learned could be of some help to you and that you can forge a relationship that works for you and allows you to thrive and that is full of trust and realness. That's my wish for y'all. Before you go, by the way, wait. Wait. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Spotify. I heard it helps, and I believe it. And please follow my Instagram, at rfl with Julia. You can send me messages, questions, tell me your stories, all in the DMs there on Instagram, or you can write me an email to rflwithjulia at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to my podcast. I really want to hear what you thought about it, so comment wherever you want to comment, and I'll see you next time. Ciao!